0: Good morning, Brad, for those of you who, I don't know, Um, and we're continuing in a series on, um, thank you, Jason, discipleship as our everyday yes to God, and thinking about this everyday yes through tables. Different kinds of tables that we share. Tables that might be hosted by God. Tables that we host. And uh, times when we're hosted at others' tables. And this morning is going to be in some ways a mix of all those tables. In kind of a a beautiful way. As we think about this um, everyday yes. I've really appreciated thinking about Jesus and food and just being reminded across this series that Jesus was an eater and he enjoyed food and he enjoyed sharing food with people and he wasn't wasn't anxious about food. Um, He wasn't anxious about the tables that he sat at or was welcome to. Some... um, Folks who look at the Gospels say, you know, Jesus, in particular in the Gospel of Luke, but elsewhere too, that Jesus was often either on his way to a meal or at a meal or coming from a meal in so many of the stories. So we're going we're to um, get to another story this morning about Jesus at, uh, at an unexpected meal But I wanna share a story first. Some of us, uh, if you've been paying attention to the news um, past month or so, um, you know the story of Greta Thunberg from Sweden. Um, How many of you have paid attention to her story at all? Yeah, a few weeks ago, she made a lot of news. Um, She's been, this this picture is from a little more than a year ago when she staged a solitary climate strike outside parliament in her country, and then social media exploded a few weeks ago when she sailed to the US and then spoke to the UN. Um, and millions, um, by some estimates, around four million around the world, uh, a lot of young people, a lot of teenagers, joined in protests. and so these images started to be kind of juxtaposed against one another of this 16-year-old a year ago by herself and then now joined by four million others. Um, and the, the difference of a voice. And I appreciated that, but I also appreciated her follow-up to that experience because she got a lot of backlash. And mostly from adults, and a lot of adults hating on her um, in pretty vocal ways, and a lot of attacks because of the particular kind of stance that she's taking and this particular political issue, and, um, and I mean, really, really hateful, ugly, destructive things said about her very publicly um, and the way that she presented herself in front of the UN and the world. And I I really thought her response to that was a maturity beyond her age. Um, And she shared, this is one of the things that she shared publicly about this uh, on social media. She said, when haters go after your looks and differences, it means they have nowhere left to go. And then you know you're winning. I have Asperger's. And that means I'm sometimes a bit different from the norm. And given the right circumstances, being different is a superpower. That's a pretty mature word. (laughs) And if nothing else, this moment was a reminder to the world never to underestimate the gifts of a young person. Maybe even when they seem singularly unremarkable or undesirable, um, that those gifts might be more than we have learned to expect. We've seen a lot of teenagers speaking up, actually. Um, There are a a lot of other young climate activists, and this was a feature um, of some of the young people who are suing the U.S. government, have been for, for the past year or so, also around their um, response to climate change. Their lawsuit says that we've failed to adequately protect the Earth for their generation and beyond. Um, A lot of you are familiar with young activists like Emma Gonzalez, who became an an unwitting um, uh, gun activist, thrust into a debate she'd rather not wage. So today we're gonna wonder about some of that, not about political issues specifically, but just wonder about the role of kids, the role of youth, the role of young people in our collective discipleship. And and, and we're going to do that. We're going to get back to bread, all right? (laughs) Don't worry. Um, But how do children and teenagers help us say our everyday yes to God? And what does it look like across generations? So we look at young people, but also as we look um, to... Those who, um, across the span, across the lifespan, what does intergenerational discipleship look like? What can it look like? So um, John is going to help us get into that with a story about bread. So um, we'll read this and go from here. This is from John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went across the Galilee Sea, that is, the Tiberias Sea. A large crowd followed him because they'd seen the miraculous signs he had done among the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover, the Jewish festival. Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him. He asked Philip, where will we buy food to feed these people? Jesus said this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, Well, more than half a year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to have even a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, A youth here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there, They sat down, about 5,000 of them, and then Jesus took the bread. When he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. When they had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that had been left over by those who'd eaten. When the people saw that he had done a miraculous sign, they said, This is truly the prophet who's coming into the world. And Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king. So he took refuge again, alone on a mountain. There's a lot going on in this passage. Um, The last few weeks we've done a lot of like turn to each other and talk and get in groups and I know some people love that and others of you are terrified by it and I'm not going to make you do it again. But I do want to create just just a moment here. Um, What are some things that kind of jumped out at you about the passage? We can just kind of be a big small group today. Is that all right? What are a couple things that just you notice about this passage? And I can go back to the first slide too. plenty. They looked at their own resources and and saw them to be inadequate. Yeah. Yeah, what was what was on hand felt inadequate. Yeah, Jack. You never never mentioned the fact that they didn't ask the boy from the the field. Didn't mention asked. It's like who's a kid? Let's take his you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, if you couldn't hear that. Yeah, they didn't ask. Like, there's no mention of whether they asked him or whether they just took it. They're just like, hey, here's a kid who's got some food. Yeah, maybe they just took it from him. We don't know. It's curious, I think it's curious. Yeah, Adam. 12 baskets of leftovers seems like very pails, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, 12 baskets of leftovers, That's very. Twelve's very symbolic. In scripture, yeah, yeah. Some some say that that these twelve baskets of leftovers were like one basket for every doubting disciple. They they each walked away with their own their own basket of leftovers to remind them, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah, Jesus needs a little space after this one. <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah, 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 Erin. So I haven't really like, noticed this, but like, this odd little detail, there was plenty of grass there, which is actually, like, the yeah. whole Psalm 23, I hadn't really like, connected it to mm-hmm. this good shepherd. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of images right Yes. Now. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Here they are out in the wilderness, right? And many of them have traveled. We don't know how far they've traveled. Some of them might even be internationally. I mean, in, in the sense of they were coming perhaps towards Jerusalem for this feast, and maybe they came to hear Jesus ahead of time because they heard about it. We don't. We don't know. But there's plenty of grass there, don't worry, right? We can have a big picnic, because there's plenty of grass. This is a curious detail. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jason, I saw your hand up there, so I wanted to make sure to... Isn't it kind of astounding the kid is the one who is prepared, right? Overly prepared. overly prepared. Yeah. I love it. I love it that no one else thought about this. Um, but it's it's it, he he, th- he thought ahead. Or yeah, someone did. Yeah. I love that he says, have the people sit down. It's Like, we're going to be here a while. Yeah. Because you have all these people who have journeyed. So there's probably a lot of stuff, too. Yeah. Like, I think that there was The implication is like, have everybody sit down because we're going to have a meal, okay. right? Get ready for a big meal. And and so this grassy hill becomes the table here, it becomes a table for discipleship, it becomes a table, and this boy's everyday yes to God, we assume he said yes and wasn't coerced, but we don't really know, but let's just roll with that, right? That his, his yes that day became an opportunity for everyone's discipleship, for everyone to just receive the yes that God had for them on that particular day. Um, it's curious. This, this miracle is an interesting one. It's the only one apart from the resurrection that's recorded in all four Gospels. And John's Gospel... In particular, this is a funny story here, because John is otherwise absent of children and youth. In the Gospel of John, we don't have uh, an infancy story. We don't have baby Jesus. We don't have 12-year-old Jesus in John. We don't have a girl being raised from the dead or a boy being healed. We don't have Jesus taking a child and putting it in the center of the people. We don't have Jesus utilizing children. We don't see children in the stories as they play out. John does use this this image of, of us become or being children of God. But there aren't kids in this gospel. But here's this one. Here's this one. And we don't really know if he was a kid or a teenager. The word that's used here is kind of obscure. This is the only place it appears in the New Testament. And so I like to wonder, you know, I don't know. Like, was this was like a 12-year-old boy? Was it an was 8-year-old it boy? Was it a teenager? I mean, we really don't know. So we can just kind of play with that image a little bit. But here's this kid who had the foresight to pack a lunch. And... He was willing to share it. The setting has all kinds of imagery. There's there's this, and Aaron pointed some of this out, but there's this this imagery of Moses as well uh, uh, here. They're up on the mountain and this idea of manna and bread provided by God. The Passover is near. There's teaching implied. Uh, So there's, there's all kinds of images here. And there are anxious people here they are anxious disciples. they are anxious disciples. They're not sure what to do. There's a lot to worry about, and there's not a lot of resources to work with. Um, you know, Jesus calls out Philip, which is kind of curious. Um, Philip is from a town nearby, from where they were, so maybe he would have known where to find food. But there's lots of interpretation by the narrator here. You know, like, the narrator wants to make it really clear what Jesus is doing. Like, Jesus has this situation under control. He's just kind of testing. He's just, he's, he's playing with them a little bit to see what they're going to do. Um, this story, especially with the disciples named, and, you know, there's like, there's the fish, and, and this kind of unexpected moment, and it just, I can't, I couldn't help but think of Peter and fish, which makes me think of Peter and fish. Um, and this one time that Peter got handed a fish Um, more about that later and other unexpected meals Uh, I was bummed that Caleb wasn't going to be here today Um, you know meals that surprise us meals that kind of take us off kilter a little bit And, and if you weren't Peter didn't eat that other fish that, that picture was from a retreat a long time ago. Um, this, this picture was from this last retreat and a, a surprise meal when, when Caleb got invited to a table he didn't anticipate uh, being invited to and, and got asked to eat some hot wings that were very, very, very hot, thanks to Jason Samwellian. Sam William. Um, Mention this story appeared in other Gospels. In Mark's Gospel... Uh, It's told a little differently. Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place. It's already late. Send them away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. And Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. And they said, they, they protest. Well, should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months' pay and give it to them to eat? So he says, well, how much bread do you have? Take a look. After checking, so they check. This is where they find. They said five loaves of bread and two fish. And Mark, Mark doesn't identify the source of that um, the way that Brad, that Brad does, the way that John does. <laughs> you can you make that what you want. Um Uh, what good is that for, for a crowd like this? What good is that for a crowd like this? It's just a little bread. It's just a little fish. Which was probably, I mean, think like dried sardines here. I mean, you know, like little salted nasty fish. Thank you, Naomi. Um, not, <laughs> you know, don't, not, like, not like Peter-sized fish. Sorry. Not that much to go around. So, the generosity and abundance in this passage is overwhelming. And it begins with the gift from a kid. And I think that's significant. And then it, and then it spreads from there. It spreads from there so that everyone has plenty. Jesus, the host offers this lavish hospitality until all were fed and there were leftovers. And there were leftovers. And and these leftovers indicate something bigger than the miracle of manna in the wilderness was here. Because remember with manna, you couldn't keep any. You couldn't keep any beyond the day. But it's like, hey, there's something even more here. Later in in, um, John... In this same chapter, Jesus will proclaim, I am the bread of life. And he's referring back to this miracle, but taking it even farther. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he goes on to a great feast in Jerusalem. And after these days of feasting, he stands up on the very last day, and he says, And if anybody's thirsty, come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scriptures said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from within them. Jesus is making some big, wild, generous promises here. And it turns out to be too much. And this is is when the leaders begin to plot um, to take his life. It's too much generosity, it's too big. So I wonder, um, when God starts to give, out of, out of nothing creates something. And I wonder about this miracle that takes place as people are passing the food from hand to hand. That as the bread and fish are spread among the crowd, they, they multiply. That the miracle happens actually as everyone touches This gift from a child. And everyone passes it. And everyone has enough and more than enough. And so to turn towards thinking about intergenerational discipleship. Intergenerational discipleship requires this kind of generosity. And it requires this kind of hands-on, being willing to pass around the gifts. And being willing to receive gifts... From a young person, it, it requires us to believe that we do have enough to go around, and everyone has something to share. That this everyday work and the big miracles—that all of them um, take all of us. This is how bread gets passed around, from hand to hand, across the church. And I think it raises questions about how we see young people in our midst. What do we hope for in our kids? What do we hope for? What do we hope for in our little kids? And our teenagers, what do we hope for as they go off into, into the world, into adulthood? Do we want them to stay engaged with faith? Do we want them to stay connected to church? Do we want them to be voices of hope? in a world that can be um, a a troubling place? What do we hope for them? And and whatever your hopes are for the kids around you, your own kids or other people's kids, or the ones you interact with here, um, it starts with believing that they're full participants in this body. that they're full participants in the body, that we see the potential of children to contribute and have something to say, that we value each other across generations, that we value the voice of the young, and we value the voice of the old, that we teach our, our children to value the voice of elders, and we teach our elders to value the voice of children and everyone in between. It takes a mutual respect, a mutual valuing. Um, the research, some you know, I'm in, involved in, in research about young people and faith, and the research would say that that with the things, the kind of things that we might hope for for our kids as they grow and as they mature and as they, if we want them to to walk with faith, stay connected with church. Um, That the presence of meaningful adults in their lives is really, really important. That the presence of adults who are not their parents is really, really important. That a church that's warm to all generations, a church that feels like family. This weekend was our diaconal retreat, and um, we were sharing some stories, just our mountainside stories on, on Friday night. And... Um, one of the, the comments was, "We we've we've never left, um, in part because this is just feels like family, and you'd only family. In this sense of it's family here. It's family here." The research would also say that giving kids significant work to do and valuing that work. Telling them that their work matters. That that's pretty important. It makes a difference. So what does this mean for our everyday yes to God at Mountainside? Um, I was really struck last year, the, the Catholic Church globally said, you know, we haven't done a lot to pay attention to young people. And they had, um, the the Pope hosted a whole gathering that was focused around listening to the voices of young people. And they've been doing some follow-up on that. But Pope Francis said this at the end. He said, we have the opportunity, the task, and the duty to be a sign of a church that really listens, that allows herself to be questioned by the experiences of those she meets and who does not always have a ready-made Answer. And the context of this was saying, hey, there's a lot of young people out there who don't feel very heard by the church, who don't feel like their voice matters. And so what would it look like to become, and, and he's saying this on a global level, but I wonder, like, on a really local, personal level, what's it, what would it be like to be a church that really listens and allows herself to be questioned, especially by the experiences of the young? So I asked some teenagers um, how we're doing at this. And I I just want to read you a few thoughts here. Um, I heard, you know, sometimes we might miss something kids have to offer, because kids notice things that other people don't always notice. Um, Thinking of our younger kids, they ask really direct questions. They aren't afraid. Sometimes big questions. Sometimes we don't take their questions seriously enough. Um, young children in worship and godly play create space for kids gifts to be shared that everybody has something to add um, and that kids get to challenge uh, it made me think of a story that, that Missy relayed one time about Selah a few years back I think maybe she was in kindergarten and was, um, it, it was in godly play and that they were in this circle and Missy was leading and she sang this song Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And um, I think Tiffany maybe overheard Selah turn to somebody in the back and say, she's not God. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Calling out Missy's heresy very appropriately. Yeah, like a true bolt, all right? (laughs) Calling us to account. She, Sailor, comes by it honestly. Um, Kids point things out, right? Um, I also heard teenagers are underestimated a lot. Maybe not by everyone, but sometimes people are uncomfortable talking about um, something controversial in front of teenagers, but they aren't surprised about it. It's weird when adults act like we are less when we don't know things. Mountainside does a good job showing up for people, even when they don't always realize we're showing up. Teenagers have strong feelings about things, um, and sometimes things that kids know more about than adults, which made me think of this story again. Ask teenagers about something you wouldn't usually ask them, even questions that are uncomfortable. They have opinions on things. Things have changed since you were in high school. And, and here's what I think. I think faith is something that gets passed down. It's something that gets passed around. And there's something that opens us up when we become willing to be discipled by people from different generations. In particular, when we're willing to be discipled by children and youth. Because it feels like maybe we should know more or we should be more mature, or we should be the ones leading the way as adults. And certainly, there's a place for us to lead and teach and mentor. But faith doesn't only get passed down, it gets passed around. And I think about this. I think about Caleb serving in godly play. I think about kids who bless Pat in so many ways. I think about the retreat committee. This year, who raised money to lower expenses for families with kids, and none of the people on the retreat committee had kids. They didn't benefit from their efforts. Um, I think about the reminder from Carolyn earlier in this series that the commissioning to bless others is active, it's not passive. This is intergenerational discipleship, our everyday yes. Yes. And so I want us to kind of hold this question. How much bread do you have? How much bread do you have? How big is this table of our discipleship? And, and, and um, so and I started to think about some slides for mountainside life, sort of pictures, images. I look back through my, some of my pictures, right? What's enough? For those of us who worshipped in that basement, you know, what? Well, was it enough? We we worried about whether we had enough, from Sunday to Sunday. Um, and sometimes the gifts of kids reminded us that there was enough. Um, this is the Pete telling a story in that godly play space, um, funky, nasty room. Right? <laughs> um, is it enough? This is how we used to welcome people to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> right. I remember when, when, when we left, I, when I first shared this picture, Sonia said something like, it was so bad, it was good. You know, like, yeah. Um, and this is how we used to welcome people here. I mean, even thinking about how we've changed the physical structure of, of how we open the doors to each other. This was um, the basement when we got here. Um, and after we ripped all the carpet and everything out, we, we started over. And then we filled it, right? Well, what's enough? What's enough? Um, remember the mauve carpet? <clears throat> yeah, it was beautiful. It was the only picture I had of it. These are a couple of pictures when we moved back into this sanctuary space. Um, and then I thought about like the, the image of generosity this particular advent of recycled, um, upcycled art. And I think about as the kids are coming back in, the ways that kids have led us in worship. Come on in, y'all. Through the years, the ways that our kids have led us in storytelling, telling the stories of, of God. And generously, generously telling us the stories. That part of our everyday yes to God is being odd. I don't think there's been a kid's play here at Mountainside where people have not wept because of how beautiful it was. And I think that says something about our our discipleship. Right? I'm glad you all are here for this. I was hoping you'd come in and see these pictures. So a few questions as we just kind of finish up and and walk with this. Oh, I had a couple more pictures. Sometimes we've worried or wondered, like, do we have enough for our kids, enough for our youth? It's, we've you know, sort of had this straggling high school reality. And then yet recently, there is this amazing generosity at the, at the Smiths in the backyard. And this, yeah. Who thought Sean would be the big evangelist, right? Yes. Um, So, what's enough? What's enough? A few questions. Come on in, everybody, as we move towards the table and share some bread. I encourage us to just kind of take these questions with us this week. Where might God be calling me to a bigger, more generous imagination about church, about faith? about resources? Who could I connect with from another generation, even just another decade, who might have bread to share this week? Who could I connect with? Maybe they're older, maybe they're younger. And then as we think about the kids right in front of us, literally right in front of us, what bread does this child, the one in front of me now, ...have to offer today. And the invitation for us in this, I think, is... ...let's not miss it. Let's be open. I wonder about the disciples that day. You know, if they hadn't noticed... ...that this kid had bread and fish... ...what would there have been? Certainly Jesus could have produced that out of nowhere, I suppose... He fed however many thousand people there were. Um, But there's something about noticing the gift that a kid might have to offer us that that could change everything in any given day. So what's in your hand? What's your yes today? I wanna um, actually put this image up as we go to the table. Um, this is some art that came out of Godly Play uh, Reflection on this table that we come to week after week after week. And a reminder that, um, that it's Jesus, just like at that big picnic on the, on the green grass out there in the wilderness. Jesus was the host at that table, and Jesus is the host at this table. As we come together... And we take whatever bread is given us this week by Peter. Thank you. And, and we connect it to that night when Jesus shared a different meal. And Jesus was a host with his friends. And it was the night that he was betrayed. And the night that he gave his life. And he took bread. And he broke it. And he offered it to them. And he said, take this and eat it. This is my body, broken for you. And whenever you do this, whenever you do this, remember me. Remember me in the bread. And in the same way, he took a cup and he offered it to God. He blessed it. And he poured it. And he said, this is my blood that's poured out for you. It's the blood of a, of a new covenant. And whenever you drink this cup, remember me. Remember me. And so this morning we remember Jesus. We remember his generosity. And we remember that it, it, it takes all of us. And the gifts that we all bring to the table. Amen. Amen.